I think sometimes what happens with nonprofits is, you know, it's a community-based organization, right? MWP is very community-focused. I think that people look at running a nonprofit as a nonprofit. They're like, it needs to be different from running a business. But actually, I disagree. When I was in an accelerator years ago, I remember one of our professors, um, his name is Justin Woltz. He literally told us, he was like, nonprofits fail because they run like nonprofits. You should be running your nonprofit like a business. Hey, welcome to Beginner Maps, where we showcase stories of scary career pivots so that you get the courage, path, and role models to carve out a career that you love. Today, we have the one and only Sophia with us. Sophia is the founder and CEO at Muslim Women Professionals, abbreviated MVP throughout this episode, MWP, sorry, a nonprofit that promotes the empowerment of Muslim women globally. Here, she is building a community where diverse women can embrace their Muslim identity and build professional skills through mentorship, networking, and guidance. That's not all. She's also the program manager at XRC Labs, venture capital firm and accelerator. Here, she builds curriculum, spearheads community development, maintains relationships with the portfolio companies, and many other things. So you can see how Sophia lives and reads community. That's why I am super excited to talk to you about your journey here, Sophia. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's start by talking about your first community experiences. Tell us, what does it mean when I ask you, what was your community experience growing up? Yeah, that's a great question. So I was born and raised in Southern California. My father is Pakistani and Arab and my mother's Mexican. I'm also Muslim. And, you know, growing up, my parents really worked so hard to create a really inclusive and supportive community for us and allow us to be surrounded by other people who were also very diverse. When my parents got married, they definitely got a lot of pushback, not just from, you know, their families, but also communities. And so they really worked hard to make sure that we didn't have to feel any of that. And so, you know, a huge part of what they did for us was really to make sure that in whatever spaces we were in, we felt embraced. They also really reminded us that, you know, our mixed identity was not something that was a bad thing. It was actually something that gave us leverage to better understand other communities as well. I remember my dad telling me, you know, some people only see certain things from one lens, only from their lens, but your ability to be multi-ethnic allows you to see the world in so many different ways, not just your own, but it allows you to also understand other cultures. And I think that also stems from the fact that both my parents were very well-traveled, My dad lived in the Middle East, aside from Pakistan, as well as in Africa. So he just saw so much. And so all of that was really an inspiration for them. And so when we were growing up and going to our local mosque, our mosque was extremely diverse. I mean, I grew up with people who were just like me. Um, They were mixed as well. So they were Arab, Latino, South Asian, Latino, Arab and white. It was like all of our moms were friends because they all you know, we're Muslim and, you know, they all were obviously not South Asian or or Arab or 
um, or anything like that. And then all of our dads were friends. And so it was just such a cool environment to be able to grow up in that community, seeing people that were like me. And for the longest time, I thought most people were actually mixed like me until I went to (laughs) elementary school and realized that that was not the case. So you know, the mosque became kind of like this, this place that I could just really be my authentic self. And when I was actually in elementary school, I got made fun of a lot for being mixed. And so it was a really difficult experience. And so I understood what it felt like to be an outsider, quote unquote. But again, the mosque was very much like this, like haven for me to be able to be around people like me, see so much diversity and feel very empowered in a really unique way. Another community that my parents got me involved in when I was really young, along with my sister, was actually Girl Scouts. So community service was a huge part of our upbringing. Though we didn't come from a lot of money, my parents always said, you know, if you don't have a lot of money, it's okay. Like you can still give back to your community with your time. And so we would do a lot of community service through Girl Scouts. We would, you know, um, sell, you know, Girl Scout cookies, which made us feel like business women when we were like literally six years old. Like it was all these different things that we were learning through that community. And so I feel like so many of those experiences have in in a very unique way followed me to where I am now. Love this. Love this so much. So two things actually strike hard to me from all of the things that he just said. The first one is how your parents really encouraged you to expose yourself to different cultures and mix with other people may not look like you and they even told you from very early on that this is this can be your um your advantage like your competitive advantage growing up so now that you are grown up and you're looking back in hindsight do you feel that you do see this advantage in your work today absolutely i feel like you know a lot of people talk about the role that a father can play in the life, especially of a daughter, right? So having a father that really encouraged me to feel always empowered and and always feel just proud of who I was and my identity. And of course my mom as well, but I feel like moms, you kind of expect it from your moms, but when your dad is also kind of there and, and just like really telling you from a very young age, like you can do anything you set your mind to. So when you have both your parents telling you that you feel unstoppable in a way. So It was funny, actually, because when I would go to the mosque as well, you know, reciting Quran was like a huge thing, right? It was like, oh, my God, the kids who can recite Quran. And usually it was boys who would go up and recite it in front of everyone. And my dad actually would volunteer me (laughs) when I was young. And I would always and because I we had a Quran teacher that would come to our house twice a week to teach us Quran. So I learned Quran when I was like three years old. And so my dad would literally volunteer me and our sheikh would be like, Sophia Huck, please come up to the stage to recite Quran. And I was like, oh my God, dad, why are you, why are you doing this? Just leave me alone. And he was like, he's like, but you know how to do it. So why wouldn't you go up there? And I was like, because I'm the only girl. And he's like, that doesn't mean anything. I know you can do it better than the boys can. And I was like, oh man, like, you know, it was like something that would just make you feel so unstoppable. So in a weird way, I feel like my, both my parents in doing that for me really encouraged me to be very outspoken, which has since followed me now. I'm very unapologetic about my identity as a Muslim woman, very unapologetic about my identity as a mixed race woman. Um, And I feel like that has actually 
allowed me to to start this organization because so much about starting this organization is going against the grain, right? Spaces like this didn't necessarily exist. And so to be able to create something, especially during a time when Islamophobia was so bad, it still is, but particularly during the last presidency here in the United States, it was horrific. So being able to do that at a really difficult time, I think it's those memories that I have that really gave me the confidence to be able to, to do what I'm doing now. Right. Let's talk about let's talk about this organization. You started MWP almost five years ago. And the first question that I have when I hear that you're running a nonprofit as a founder and CEO is how does it differ from running a, a, a for-profit, maybe a startup as a founder and CEO? That's a great question. So I think sometimes what happens with nonprofits is, you know, it's a it's a community-based organization, right? MWP is very community focused. I think that um, people look at running a nonprofit as a nonprofit. They're like, it needs to be different from running a business. But actually, I disagree. When I was in an accelerator years ago, I remember one of our professors, um, his name is Justin Wolks. He literally told us, he was like, nonprofits fail because they run like nonprofits. You should be running your nonprofit like a business. There's like a lot of negative association with doing so. So actually I run my nonprofit like a business. And, you know, I think that what happens with some nonprofits, it's that people go into it with, I have an idea and I have a problem. So it must be everyone's problem. And that was something that my professor actually taught me as well. He was like, just because it's a you problem doesn't mean it's everyone's problem. So that's the first step in in really building a successful organization is making sure that you're going out, you're interviewing people, you're conducting surveys, basically what we call business customer discovery, making sure you're doing all of that to ensure that there actually is a need for something like this. Um, And so that has really influenced my decision to be very business oriented with this nonprofit. We have a business plan. We Our goal is to have multiple streams of income because all of this will ultimately help this nonprofit be a successful and sustainable nonprofit in the future. Right. And can you talk about the business plan and maybe some income streams that you have for the nonprofit? Well, without giving too much away, what I would say is, you know, for us, like, For some nonprofits, what they do is they're like, we're solely donation focused. Like our only stream of income is donations. And that is not good if you only have one stream of income. So for us, it's really about creating, um, like I said, multiple streams of income in different ways. It's not just, you know, with donations, it's also grants. It's also figuring out what can we do internally to be able to monetize off of certain things that we're doing. Maybe it's events, maybe it's partnering with different corporations um, and serve and having them as corporate partners. For me, you know, for our, our ability to make a really large impact for the Muslim women community, we have to create sustainable sources of income. And so I don't want us to be a nonprofit that's barely making it every single month. I want us to be a nonprofit that is here for for many, many years to come. And that requires being very business savvy and making sure that we have, like I said, those diverse forces of income. That's amazing. Uh, If I had your job as the CEO of MWP for a day, can you teach me how to do your job? (laughs) So that's a really tough question because (laughs) when I thought about it, 
I kind of asked myself like no two, or I told myself like no two days are ever the same with this organization. You're always dealing with something new. So I think the best way to approach it would be in order to be really successful in this role, you have to be a really good problem solver is like the first thing that I thought of. Problems come up all the time. Every single day there's something new. And I think years ago when I first started, I would be really scared or like a problem would come up and I'd be like, oh my God, I'm not doing a good job. And the truth is, is that problems will come up all the time. It's about how you react to them. So sometimes some moments I'll like, I'll step away from my computer and I'll just have a moment <laughs> to myself, but then it's like, okay, let what's the game plan? Let's figure this out. So I think that would be the first thing is like, you really have to be a problem solver. The second is you really have to understand what's going on across your organization at every, you know, all the time. So I'm constantly doing check-ins with the different teams, constantly checking in with the executive members, making sure that they have what they need. If if they need support, I'm always there. Um, you know, for example, our finance and legal team, it's like, okay, we need, we are looking for grants. I will do my own research, send them grants. It's, it's really about being, you know, somebody who can help every single team. And you don't need to necessarily know everything about finance, everything about legal, everything about events, but you need to be able to contribute. You need to be able to understand how you can help. I think that is that that's how you would be really successful in this role. But yeah, it's, it's a very tough role. And sometimes I forget that I'm the CEO of this organization <laughs> because I've been doing it for so long that I kind of feel like it's just become like robotic at this point. Like it's just very, like I'm an autopilot almost. But at the same time, I feel like every day I learn something new. I learn how to be better. And I take that with me on this journey. It's so cool. You obviously have your full-time day job and you're running your nonprofit apart from that. It, it sounds like a lot. You're managing so many teams. So is it like another having another full-time job? Oh my God, absolutely. And I know some people think that, oh, it's a nonprofit, so it's not a lot of work. It is a lot of work. I'm overseeing 22 women right now. You know, it's a lot. And it does feel like two jobs um, all the time. So I have to be very good with managing my time. I have to be able to also set aside time for myself. Um, you know, it's interesting because we're not even where we are going to be like, there's so many things that are going to happen in the next few months for us. This past year was actually one of our, I think it was our year of the most growth we've had thus far as an organization. So it's just going to continue hopefully to just grow, grow and grow. And so for me, I have to really make sure that I manage my time wisely. And that I, again, like I said, make time for myself because I've learned really that burnout is is very common, especially when you're doing this type of work. It is really, really hard. And especially as a nonprofit, like where none of us are getting paid, we're all volunteering. So, so much of what we're doing is about the mission. It's about the impact, right? That we're having on women globally. And so I really have to remind myself some days where it's really exhausting and I'm really tired that the work that I'm doing really matters to so many women. Yeah, so this sounds like it's a very, um, you're doing a very mission-oriented work with this because you aren't getting any money, any financial benefits, any equity out of this thing. And you're devoting all your extra time. And it's been going on for five years, which is incredible, I think. So congratulations on that. Thank you so um, much. <laughs> my, my next question is, can you remember like 
a moment or two when the work that you've been doing on this mission felt really impactful and you felt proud of doing this work yeah it was so funny because one time i went to a wedding it was in chicago this was a few years ago and one of my friends she was introducing me to some of her friends and um and she said to her friend like oh this is sophia huck she started muslim women professionals and then these girls just started like fangirling <laughs> like oh my god you started it and you know i've never i'm not one to go around and be like hi i'm sophia i started this organization like i actually keep a very low profile like i don't talk about it unless people talk to me about it and so like they were just like fangirling and they were really excited and they were just talking about like i love what you did with this oh my gosh you have to come to chicago there's so many muslim women here and just like going on and on and on and i was just shocked i was i was shocked like i was a little like this has not happened before to me and like because you don't realize the impact that you can have on people right you don't really see like who's benefiting from it specifically right so that was one moment Another moment is when, uh, well, actually, this is a few moments, but like I mentioned, like I get messages from women from all over the world. And in those messages, like you just, oh my God, like some of these messages, you could literally cry. It's like, you know, I, I've been dealing with Islamophobia in the workplace and, you know, I have been harassed as a result of it. And finding your organization has really made me advocate for myself. It's made me feel empowered. I don't hide who I am anymore. I feel like I can take on whatever I need to, I need to do at work. You know, we've, we host quite a few like events, right? So one of our events was like spiritual rights in the workplace. And so it taught Muslim women, like, what are your rights in the workplace when it comes to wearing hijab, when it comes to taking time off for Eid, when it comes to letting your company know about Ramadan? all these things. And so, so many women have messaged me with about events like that, that have really helped them in their, in their careers, be able to communicate to their team about their identities more because they have like a blueprint that they can follow from us. So it's, it's messages like that, that really just like mean the world to me. Um, and when I also get uh, feedback from a lot of people who aren't Muslim, who are like, the work that you're doing is so fantastic, like, that's so important, like, all of that together, just, that's what keeps me going, that's what makes me feel so motivated, and lets me know that I'm making an impact, even though sometimes I, I forget that I am. That is so amazing. So tell me about the difficult parts of building MWP. You mentioned that making time for it apart from your full-time day job is a challenge. How do you deal with that? Yeah, I'm going to be honest. It's, it's very difficult. You know, a lot of the times I have to sacrifice my evenings, my weekends to be able to catch up on work for MWP. Um, and, it, and it can be really exhausting. You know, fortunately, you know, I have a really great executive team. Um, those are like all the heads of, of, of the organization. And we, the three of us are, are very, very motivated. And we really talk to each other about, you know, how we're feeling, how everything is going, because all of us are working in very demanding jobs, um, you know, full time. And then we're working on this on the side. And so it, like I mentioned earlier, it, it is, it, you have to make sure that you make time for yourself. You have to make sure that you're leading by example. Um, you know, I think with running a nonprofit, all of us are volunteers. So you have to be able to keep your volunteers engaged as well. So for us, a huge 
part of that is really prioritizing things like professional development for our team. Now that we're an organization creating like perks for our team. So that way they feel like, Hey, I'm actually getting free stuff out of this that, you know, is making me a better professional that I can apply, not just here at MWP, but also uh, in my career. That has been one of the most difficult things. Um, I think the second thing is you're working with very little resources, right? Before we became a nonprofit, because we were not a nonprofit, we didn't get access to a lot of the things that a nonprofit would get access to, right? So a lot of the things that we had to create were very scrappy. We had to be very scrappy and like we had to do things all internally. Now that we're a nonprofit, we get access to a lot of perks, which is great. We get to, you know, get certain PM tools at a discounted rate or get like, you know, free G- Gmail or whatever. Um, and so that's been um, that's been so helpful for us as we're continuing to grow this in this uh, organization. And I think the last thing is, you know, when you're working with a community, people just, especially when people want you, it's hard when you're not meeting demand and the demand is high because you are a volunteer-based organization. And so there's only so much you can do, right? I can't just say like, I'm going to go to DC tomorrow and do a coffee chat right away. Like it's not feasible. And so I think that's really hard. And so we're trying to really figure out ways to scale this organization in a way that it doesn't become like too difficult on us. Obviously, as a founder and CEO, um, I realize that I have to be in certain places. So sometimes that means I have to take a flight on a weekend and go to a particular area and I have to, you know, I'm going to have to lead an event or help with an event. That's part of it. And so it is definitely tough, but I love it. It fulfills me. The fact that, again, like I mentioned earlier, we had our largest period of growth in this past year shows me that there is a lot more hopefully to come. And, you know, I just have to take care of myself a little bit more and prioritize self-care a little bit more. And as you mentioned, like I'm working my full-time job at XRC. So I think I've gotten to a point where I manage my time very well and I'm doing really well. And so that's very fulfilling for me as well. Love it. This sounds like you've been, it's a lot of work. So you you need to have a lot, a lot of conviction to be successful in building a nonprofit and do that for five plus years. For sure. Absolutely. And, and I will say in the beginning, It was very tough, right? I had no business, formal business background. I didn't major in business when I was an undergrad. I did study abroad at the London School of Economics where I learned about international business. That was actually what fueled my passion for business was going to LSC. And then when I was starting this organization, a lot of it was like listening to podcasts and reading books and, you know, all these things, like anything I could get my hand on that could just teach me about business. And so when I finally was able to get into grade 110, which is an accelerator based in Los Angeles for diverse founders, that really gave me a lot of confidence as a founder uh, to be able to go out and build this because I finally felt like I had so much, so many resources and I had, you know, the ability to be in an environment with other entrepreneurs. And so, um, yeah, I'm I'm very fortunate for that experience. And I think, um, you know, I've made mistakes for sure. Every founder and CEO has, but I feel like I needed to make all those mistakes, especially earlier on for me to be at this point and to be very confident in what I know and what I need to do. And it's made me a better founder for it. So cool. So 
I'm going to take something that you said a bit earlier about how a huge part of the job is to deal with the financial constraints and figure out how to grow even with few resources. That seems to me like it's complete opposite of what building a venture capital startup requires because you have the resources and now you have to figure out how to put them to good use. So does it feel that way to you or do you feel like it's the same thing at, at the very core of it? Ooh, that's a great question. Um, I do see some similarities between the nonprofit space and, and the for-profit space. What I will say is that, you know, when you're at a for-profit company and you are the founder, you own most of the equity, right? For this nonprofit, you don't. So a lot of it is very much like it's because you want to do it and it's because you recognize the power in this community that you're trying to build. And so um, I think some, I think if anything, when you're building a for-profit company, there is like some incentive in that way with a nonprofit there, there really isn't like as much incentive. Um, And again, I was going back and forth with like B Corp and nonprofit for MWP for the longest time. It was like, should should we be a B Corp, which is, you know, technically a for-profit, should we be a nonprofit? And it took me a long time to get to this point. But the reason why I chose a nonprofit over the B Corp was because for me, it was about like this organization to me belonged to the community. It did not belong to me. It was something that I wanted to create a legacy with. So that way, like nobody could, I don't know, it just, it, for me, it, it belonged to the community and I wanted to create this legacy and I wanted it to continue on to the next person. Like I said, there will be a day when I'm probably not CEO and that's okay because I want there to be someone else. And I expect that to be internally, like I'm helping the women in my organization be the best that they can be because one day one of them is going to take my job and that's okay. Right. So that's very different than a for-profit, right? Like you want to have as much control in a for-profit as you can in a nonprofit, you kind of realize that there will be someone else after you, but the beauty is a legacy that continues on with that. So, yeah. That is so beautiful. What advice do you have for somebody who wants to start a nonprofit community? I think the first thing that I would say is, does this already exist? Because sometimes people will create something that already exists. And sometimes I do feel like it is better to like work with someone who's already doing the work and to help them and to like, just like join forces than to create something brand new, unless your, your consumer, your customer is, um, very different. Um, for us, um, you know, it really mattered for me to do the customer discovery early on surveys, right? Our first survey got like over 200 responses from women all over the world. I was sharing it with everyone in my network because for me, it was like, I'm not going to do this unless I see a need. And that's how every founder should be. There needs to be a need or else you're not going to have a customer. And then you're not going to be able to get you know, revenue and you're not going to be able to actually build a sustainable company. And so when I saw that and then started interviewing people, that's when I realized how necessary this space was. And so that's the advice I'd give to anybody who wants to start a nonprofit. Don't start a nonprofit just because you want to be the founder of a nonprofit, because there are nonprofits that are unsuccessful or there are nonprofits that are unsustainable. You want to be the nonprofit that is sustainable, that's successful. And so in starting MWP, again, I've realized how necessary this space is. And 
um, the fact that others recognize it as well is is very important. And that is what is ultimately going to lead, hopefully, to the continued success of the organization. Yeah, I think that is very helpful and inspiring. Now, I want to uh, segue into your career at XRC Labs. Can you tell us how you got the role as program manager at XRC? Yeah, so actually it started around the time, like my interest in venture capital started around the time that I started MWP. So when I was initially starting MWP, I was talking to so many Muslim women, right? Because again, trying to understand, is this space necessary? You know, how are you feeling as a Muslim woman in your career? Um, And I remember I started connecting with a lot of like Muslim women entrepreneurs who at that time were approached by investors about their companies. And they would just tell me about like the horrific experiences that they would have to deal with. It was like, this guy came up to me and he wants to invest in my company, but he literally doesn't care about me or my identity at all. He literally just sees me as a dollar sign. Or it was the opposite. It was like, I can't find access to capital. I want to be able to grow my company. I don't know how. I don't know even know where to begin. I'm a mom. I'm a mom who just decided to like make my passion my business and it's doing well, but how do I scale it? And so it was just so many of these different issues. And I remember one of uh, one of the founders actually telling me, she's like, Sophia, you should do this. You would be so good at this. She's like, because people trust you because you want what's best for us. And that just like always stayed in my mind, like just like that person kind of seeing right away, like how much I cared because I do. And I think the point of community at the core of it all is you have to care about this community and you have to care about making sure that they are successful and just helping them. And sometimes that may not necessarily happen. They may not be as as successful as you hope, but at the core of it is caring and, you know, providing them with resources and really believing in their success. And so I started doing some research into, into venture capital and started learning a little bit about it, educating myself through different podcasts, books, similar to what I was doing with, you know, being a founder. And Do you remember I, any particular podcasts or books that were helpful in that period? I started like listening to how I built this. I started reading things like good to great around like management specifically and being a really good founder. At that time, there weren't a lot of like VC books. Now we have like venture deals. I'm not sure. Like I didn't know about venture deals at that time. Secrets of Sand Hill Road. Those are very much VC books. Arlen Hamilton's book that also came out. I didn't know about that. So it was a lot of like podcasts. It was a lot of like blogs. Um, And then I found out about Grid 110, that accelerator in LA. And I was fortunate enough to get accepted into the accelerator. And then that's where I actually got to learn from the founder, Mickey Reynolds, who is also a venture scout. I got to learn from Austin Clemens, who's the founder of a venture firm and like all these just incredible people. And I got to just learn, you know, especially from other founders who were, who were building for-profit companies, what investors looked for. And so it was this really amazing experience because I saw it in, as in the lens of a founder, like that was what I was looking at it through, but I was also being able to see it from the lens of an investor. Like, is this a viable product? Is this something that's going to actually be successful? And so um, I remember talking to Mickey Reynolds and just telling her like, oh, I really think that this is where I want to be. Like, this is what I've always wanted, like to directly invest in the communities that I, that I care about. 
And I remember telling her like, maybe I'll do it in 10 years or something. I have a lot going on with MWP. And she's like, why not now? What are you waiting for? And I would, and I told her, I was like, I'm afraid. Like I I'm scared. I don't know if I'm going to get in. VC is a very difficult space to get into. Um, And she's like, no, you can do it. And so after that, I ended up working at a startup. I worked at a at a pre-seed clean beauty brand for for black women. And that was an amazing experience. Then I became a venture associate at Republic. And then Mickey was actually the one who sent me this job description and was like, hey, I found this. I think it's like the perfect fit for you. It's community, it's retail, which I used to work in, in the retail space before starting MWP. She's like, it's program management. You do so many events with MWP. Like, It's so much of that. Why don't you just apply? And it was my first time learning about XRC. And so, you know, when I started doing more research, I was like, this is, this is amazing. Like, this is definitely what I love. Like, I love consumer brands. I love retail. I love community building, all of that. As a founder, I can resonate with them in terms of the resources they may need. So it was all those different things. And so I applied, I got the job and I'm very grateful um, because I can resonate with our founders in, in a very unique way as a fellow founder. Again, being a non, you know, a founder of a nonprofit is a little bit different than being a founder of a for-profit for sure. Like we don't have to go through all these fundraising rounds. We don't have to like deal with all these different things that they're dealing with, but there is this common, you know, um, there is this like common language that we're speaking in terms of what it means to be a founder and what you need and, and how we can help you be successful. Um, and that goes back to, again, I run MWP. It's a nonprofit, but I run it like a business. Same thing here. It's like, where's your business plan? How do we get your financial model ready? Let's prepare you for demo day. Do you have all these things in order? Did you do customer discovery? Like it's all these different things that I can now help them with so much more because I've been through it myself. That's amazing. Uh, it sounds like Mickey is a fantastic mentor. She would be an amazing person to speak. I think I, I think I suggested her to you for this podcast, but she would be fantastic. Yeah. Love this, love this, and uh, I especially love her advice on um, when you said that you should do you. You're thinking of doing it in ten years, and she just asked you why not now and. That is yeah. a place where I think a lot of us find ourselves to be in. Like we have our 10 years plan, but sometimes those are things that we could do today and start today. Absolutely. I think if you really look at it, um, I mean, there's, I think there's two reasons why we don't do things. One of them is maybe like the convenience, right? Like right now I don't have the resources. I don't necessarily have the time. And another is just fear. Um, and so For me, I said that, you know, I didn't have time. I had the time. I was just scared. (laughs) So I think, you know, her being, you know, even to this day, she's one of my mentors. She's somebody that I adore. Um, I, I look up to her so much, you know, she's doing so many fantastic things with grid 110. She's impacted so many founders like myself, but I, I really am so grateful for her because I wouldn't have known about this job had it not been for her. And I think that that's also a really important thing, even as a community builder, like it's really important to have mentors. It's really important to have people who know exactly what you're doing and have and have done it or are still doing it, who you can really turn to in those moments where you're maybe burnt out or you don't know what to do. It's very important to have those people around you because they definitely know how to support you and they definitely know 
how to give you advice that really resonates with what your experiences are. I, I really love this topic about the importance of mentors in life and how they can be really uh, powerful in your professional journey. So I have one question. I think this is a question that I have often struggled with myself. How do you find mentors, number one? And then how do you even approach them and sign them on to being a mentor? Because it sounds like it's a one directional relationship, like you're really getting all the value out of it. So do you, do you have any insights into that? Yeah. So actually when I graduated college, I had no mentors. And I think that was also one of the inspirations for starting MWP because nobody taught me how to like find a mentor. And then I would see all these boys around me and they all had mentors. And I was like, how did you do it? And they would never tell me how they did it. (laughs) Um, And so I think in terms of finding a mentor, I think there are a few ways that you can do it. I think one of the ways is by attending events that tailor to your interests. So for example, I, you know, attended a, uh, an MW, uh, I'm sorry, MWP, an MBA event. This was years ago. This was back in like 2016, 2017. I thought I was going to go get my MBA, like right around the time I started MWP. And I went to this Harvard MBA event in Los Angeles and I met one of my mentors and it was just because I reached out to her. Like I saw her speak. I, you know, she really touched on some amazing points. She was also a woman of color. So I reached out to her and I, um, you know, scheduled a call with her. We talked and actually at the end of it, she gave me advice. She was like, in terms of like finding a mentor, she was like, Sophia, remember that even though you're not like, let's say like a Harvard grad, like me, like you're literally reaching out to me because I'm a Harvard MBA grad. There's still so much that you could help me with. Like you could still help me in a, in a unique way. It doesn't mean that it's like a one-way street. She was like, so when you're reaching out to mentors or you have mentors, make sure you always ask them, like, if there's anything you need from me, or if there's any way I can help you, let me know. She's like, because you'd be surprised how much we actually do need help. There's a lot of things we don't know. And so that's actually something that I always ask my mentors. You know, it could also be some of the programs that you're in. Like Mickey is one of my mentors. I was a part of the accelerator. Sometimes I reach out to people on LinkedIn and I will literally say like, Hey, like I'm a huge fan of your work. I really resonate with it. Like I really send a very meaningful message because nowadays I feel like people just like LinkedIn requests. And I actually don't accept requests unless there's like a message because I'm like, who is this? Like, why do you, you know, what's going on here? You know? And so, um, I'll literally write out a message and say like, I would love to talk to you about the community you're building, or would love to talk to you about the work that you're doing, because it really resonates with me. And I'd say like nine times out of 10 people will, will let me meet with them and talk to them. And I always let them know at the end of our meeting that, you know, if there's anything that they need from me, I am happy to help them in any way that I can. So I think reciprocity is a huge thing when it comes to mentorship, but you know, I think it's also about being very intentional. Yeah. Intentional. It's not just like I'm reaching out to her because, you know, I just want to talk to her. It's like, there should be a a why behind it. And so, yeah, I would, I would really encourage people who are looking for mentors to put themselves in spaces where those mentors are. So if you're looking for somebody in venture capital, let's say on the investment side, um, at a specific company, you know, connect with other people at that company or learn more about that company, do research on it and talk about it with that investor, like make them feel special. 
um, because that's, you know, they want to feel like they're not just meeting with you just to meet with you. A lot of people just don't have that much time. So really making it a very intentional introduction and, and making them feel very, um, I don't want to say supported, but making them feel like you really resonate with the work that they're doing. I think that that's where you can find a really genuine connection. This is so helpful. Yeah, as I said, this is a thing that I and uh, even Piyush were struggling with. We have often struggled with. And as you said, when when you graduated from college, you felt that you didn't have any mentors. And that is mm-hmm. the same case with me and him. So yeah, this I will I will try to apply what you just said. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Love this segue. Now coming back to your career at XRC Labs. You're here supporting founders and you're like building a community of people who are building hard, difficult startups. So what does your day-to-day job look like? Oh, it's a lot. Um, it literally is, is, I do a lot um, as a program manager. So some of the things that I do, obviously I do the day-to-day op- operations of the accelerator. So I'm working on building our curriculum, right? Figuring out every single cohort, how do we make this curriculum better? Uh, based off of, you know, the founders that we had in the previous cohort, what changes should we make? How should we reorder this? What expectations should we set from the founders or for the founders? Another is building programming. So a huge, uh, you know, a huge thing that I really wanted to implement when I got, when I got to XRC was really also focusing on our alumni and really figuring out what resources can we provide to our alumni founders, right? I don't ever want them to feel that just because they're no longer a part of the current cohort that they don't get access to certain resources or they don't get access to us as a team. And so one of the things that I've that I've really worked with our team uh, on is really implementing more engagement with our alumni and finding those resources for them and seeing how we can continue to maintain relationships with them and, and just basically support them on their founder journeys. We have over 370 mentors in our network. Um, these are all experts in their field who come in and support our current uh, cohort founders. Um, They work with our founders, especially in different areas that they need help with. And then some of them actually go on to, you know, serve as advisors or they will serve as angel investors. And so my part in that is really making sure our mentors are happy. We're building out a really strong mentorship program. We're continuing to expand our mentorship uh, network um, that the mentors feel like they are also a part of the community because they, you know, so many of them are just so proud to be XRC mentors. So figuring out like, how do we make their experience a better one? How can we have in-person events just for them to feel very exclusive because they are so important to us. I want to make sure that they feel that way, building out our orientation. Um, you know, I'm now working on intern recruitment for the entire organization helping with our XRC blog, writing articles that are really relevant to the community, overseeing our interns. So really making sure that our interns feel like the work that they're doing is very meaningful. It's everything, honestly. <laughs> and I feel like my <laughs> role has like grown so much since I've started, um, but it's been an amazing experience. And I feel like I'm just gaining so much insight Um, And, you know, it's allowed me to really see things in so many different ways. I've been able to see things from the investor lens, the growth lens, obviously our lens as as an accelerator and the marketing lens, like every single area I've really been able to have some sort of like point of view from the organization standpoint on these startups. And so 
Um, it's it's literally everything, but that's kind of the, the type of person I am. I don't like to do just one thing, as you can see. I love to do everything and I love to be able to to learn from other people and and also, you know, kind of give my perspective on how things can can be better. Love this. And what do you think is the most challenging part about this work? I think the most challenging part is sometimes you will see founders who work so tirelessly, who work so hard to build their companies and their companies just don't end up working out. And that's really, really hard because we can provide them with all the resources they need. They can work so, so hard and sometimes it just doesn't work out. So I think that is probably one of the most difficult things. Another thing is obviously like the times that we're in, you know, fundraising is a little difficult right now. Um, and so it's hard to see them struggle, you know, some of them financially are, you know, telling us like, there's only so much runway I have. Um, so that's where like I come in and, you know, I work with my interns to really prioritize finding different means of funding for them, whether it be grants, whether it be, um, you know, other, other resources that we can find. Like for me, it's like, we need to help them in any way that we can because their success is our success. And, you know, again, that kind of ties back to community, right? They are our community. We're their community. We need to make sure that we're doing what we can. So it's really about um, just being there for them in any way we can and continuing to maintain those relationships, even after, like I said, some of them, unfortunately, you know, don't end up working out. It's hard because you build those relationships with them personally. You, you learn about their families. You learn about, you know, why they started this company and I am a, a huge empath. So like I, oh my God, I like literally feel for them. I'm just like, oh my gosh, you know, you dedicate so much of your time, um, of your life, you know, to, to building this company and it just doesn't work out. Um, and so that's where for me, I, I really am trying to figure out other ways that we can help them even after something, you know, doesn't work out. Right. This sounds like uh, very challenging and uh had a very uh, rewarding experience for you. Like I can feel the passion that you have for your work here from hearing you speak. So just love this. Thank you so much. <laughs> yeah. Um, and what have you learned about building good communities from your experience at both MWP and uh, XRC Labs? That's a great question. I think honestly, what I what I'm very surprised by is how much of the time so many companies create resources without actually knowing what their community wants. It becomes this thing of like, we think the community needs this. So we're going to create it instead of let's survey and talk to our community and actually understand what they need. And I think that MWP was a great example of that for me, right? Um, I went out, conducted customer discovery, interviewed so many Muslim women, learned about their experiences that shapes so much of what MWP has become. And I think like even here at XRC, same thing. Like I really wanted to understand what our founders needed and how we could be there for them. And so, so much of what we do are like check-ins, right? And understanding like, what are you going through right now? How can we help? And so, for example, one of our founders said like, I need money. So it was like, okay. And that's where we went out and and, and have started doing a lot more research on grants and things like that, that we can send her. So that way she feels um, like she's not alone. 
But yeah, I, I definitely think that a lot of companies don't actually talk to their consumers. And I feel like that's a huge problem. Um, at the end of the day, the community you're serving is ultimately going to be um, the reason for your success. So if you don't know what's going on and you're not continuously talking to people and, you know, not just once a year, but at events, you know, through um, social media, all of these different avenues, you're not going to be successful because their needs are going to evolve and you have to evolve with them. Right. And um, has there ever been a time where you, you thought that they wanted something and then upon doing research, you realized that they actually don't want it? That's a really interesting question. Um, I don't think that that's happened, actually. <laughs> I think it's because I, I I don't just, you know, I don't just survey them once, uh, even like with XRC, I don't survey them once a cohort. It's like we're continuously getting feedback every other week, every week, every month, like literally in different ways through like, you know, we'll, we'll send out like feedback forms. We'll also talk to them in person. We have like an open door policy with our office hours, same with MWP. It's very much like, you know, we send out our survey, but at events, I'm always like letting the girls know, ask them what they want from us, talk to them. What are the problems they're facing? All of that. So I personally haven't um, gone through that, but I definitely have seen other organizations that have. Makes sense. Okay. My next question is about your career and like, how are you looking at your career in the future? So tell me about your inspirations as you're thinking about building out your career in the long term. Oh man. <laughs> it's funny because, um, you know, I, I am a planner. I like to plan. If you don't, you can't see, but I have a vision board that I create every single year at the end of the year. And it's all the things that I want to happen. And actually, one of them is literally a photo of someone doing a podcast with their microphone. And I ended up <laughs> buying the microphone. And then Nithya, she literally were like, let's do the podcast. And I was like, oh, my God, it's happening. So there you go. We're oh, wow. We've crossed that off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're manifesting. Um, well, first off, I'm inspired by so many different things, right? I'm inspired by what's going on politically, socially, culturally. I'm inspired by travel. I really do get inspired by so many different things. Um, I feel that at the core of it has always been community, right? Through XRC, through um, MWP. In terms of like my career in the long run, I do see myself, you know, investing in these communities in different ways. I want to be able to make a bigger difference, not just for Muslim women, but so many other communities. Cause you know, I am, I am a Muslim woman. I'm also Pakistani. I'm also Mexican. So there's just so much that I want to do. Like I want to continue to have an impact on, you know, diverse communities. I've never been one to put myself in a box. I've never been one to just do one thing. I feel like people have always been like, you just, you should just do one thing. And I'm like, sorry, I can't do that. I get bored very easily. I like having different things going on. Um, and so in the future, like I, I, I don't know what that could transpire to, but I definitely want to have more of an impact specifically maybe around gender equity on a global scale and getting more involved in that way. I want to see MWP grow to new heights. I definitely see myself um, 
particularly like going from, you know, community builder to maybe in the future, becoming an investor and working on that side to really invest in diverse founders. That's something I'm very passionate about. I also have other interests. If you can imagine, I am like a creative. I love architecture. I love interior design. I am like a creative at the core. And so who knows if I'd ever do anything with that, (laughs) but I love it. It's amazing. And, you know, it's just, um, I, I just never try to put myself in a box. I just always try to keep searching for inspiration. Like I said, those, the vision boards, I'm literally looking at it right now. It has like so much fashion on there, so much like travel on there, architecture on there. Um, I would love to travel more and see if there's any way that I could like make an impact specifically in those local communities. I really want to go to Pakistan uh, and visit my family and see what I can do to, to help the young girls over there. So honestly, there's just so much, I think so much of my work is really focused around women and, you know, gender equity and really just making a difference in that way, how that will happen. I don't know, but I've always been somebody who saw myself doing different things. I would like to maybe create a company in the future and be able to solve a lot of different problems. I just never put any limits on myself. I I always try to like go with my gut and see like how I feel about something, but there's definitely so much that I want to do. So we shall see. We shall see what happens. (laughs) I shall be seeing and following you very intently and looking at how you progress. And I am like super excited about seeing the different things that you do in your future. So all the best. (laughs) Thank you so much. (laughs) okay now let's move on to the rapid fire round where Piyush will ask you a few questions that he has prepared hey Sophia hi Piyush how are you I'm great I've been loving this conversation oh thank you so much (laughs) okay so in this round I'm going to ask you five questions it will be short because I won't be asking any follow-up questions okay so the first question is What's a fun fact about you that is not covered on your LinkedIn profile? <laughs> what is a fun fact about me? Oh my gosh. I would say I love to cook and I love to bake, but I just rarely have time for it. But uh, my goal is to like take a cooking class out here in New York and try to get better at, at cooking. So I would say I, I love to cook. That's good. it's so boring I'm like what's a fun fact about I was literally my first thought was I love to sleep I love to watch tv (laughs) that that should have been your answer then (laughs) (laughs) now think back to who you were five years ago what do you think that version of you would be most proud of who you are today Oh, I was in a very, very rough place five years ago. I think I had just left my job in retail to start MWP and I was felt very lost and I was like, is this going to work out? So I think she would, you know, um, if she saw me now, she'd probably be like, oh my God, like you actually did it. Like you, you did everything you, you said you were going to do and more. You moved cross country, you got out of LA, you went to New York, like you're doing everything you, you always wanted to do. So I think she'd be very proud. That's awesome. And how do you motivate yourself when you feel stuck? I put on some hip hop music, some oldies music. I think music is like my go-to thing. 
and I do a lot of self-care. So I go get a massage, go get my nails done. I watch some reality TV, which is probably the thing and people are going to judge me for it, but I watch like reality (laughs) TV and I just relax. And then, um, I'll also like go to the gym kind of gets me in like the right mindset. And, um, and then I, I try to get a good night's sleep and then I'm ready to go for the next day. Awesome. And what's the next big thing that you're trying to achieve in your career? Ooh, that's a great question. Um, I definitely want to see myself continue to grow outside MWP, like with my career in venture capital. I definitely want to continue to just grow in that, in that space and see where it takes me. And the last question for today, what advice would you give to someone who is starting their first community job tomorrow? I would really, I would tell them, you know, make sure that at the core of everything you do is that you really care about this community and its future. You really have to care about, you know, helping people in order to be a really great community builder, because there are going to be moments where you're not going to necessarily see the fruits of your labor, right? But if you really are passionate about the community and helping the community, that's going to be the most important thing. And just make sure that you always put their needs first in terms of what you're building. That's great advice. That brings us to the end of this round. Already in Yeah, and <laughs> that is also the end of this interview, Sophia. I think uh, this was a fantastic conversation. Thank you for bringing your whole authentic self to this conversation and giving us such wonderful insights. Oh, that means so much to me. A few of the questions I was like, oh my goodness, I hope I give a good answer. <laughs> I was like, you did. I hope I don't sound like I'm going off on a tangent. But um, no, I loved this. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I'm so proud of you both and what you're doing here. I think community is such an important thing. It's not something that gets talked about a lot in terms of like the professional space, right? Like community is just kind of coming more and more to the surface in terms of like the types of jobs that are out there but being a community builder is a really really difficult job and so I love that you both are taking this on to really help those who are either trying to get into the space or help those who are already into the space um so yeah great job both of you thank you so much